some of what the Lord's used him for uh, over the, the last many decades of service to the Lord. Went to Japan uh, with BIMI in 1965, established two churches, one in Osaka and one in Kobe. Also established an independent Baptist Bible school where he served as president there. Uh, also served as a Far East director for 10 years for BIMI. Uh, has preached in over 80 different countries and served as the president and general director of BIMI for over 19 years and now serves as a general director emeritus of BIMI. But I'll tell you this morning, my favorite title of Dr. Sisk is he's my friend. It's not often that you get to be friends with one of your heroes. A lot of times our heroes have either gone on to be with the Lord or they're people that are not within reach. And yet Dr. Sisk, for some odd reason, has decided to be my friend. We don't have a friendship bracelet yet, but we're going to get one sooner or later. You know, one of those hearts that's kind of cut in half. I'm so thankful Dr. Sisk is, has been a friend to me and has let me talk with him and get counsel from him. And uh, usually folks whom the Lord has used to do great things, uh, a lot of times are out of reach for people that, um, that have not done as great of things. And yet Dr. Sisk has given me his time, he's given me his ear, he's given me his counsel, and I'm so thankful for him and for his ministry and the blessing he's been to Central Baptist Church. He hit it out of the park yesterday with the AJ's uh, ordination, so thankful for that. So let's welcome Dr. Sisk back to the pulpit of Central Baptist Church. Thank you, Pastor. What a joy it is to be back at Central Baptist Church. Uh, let's start by rehearsing once again the definition of a mission conference. And here it is, very simple. Okay, a mission conference is a local church in business meeting deciding the fate of the heathen. You know what that means? What you do with what you hear from this morning until Wednesday evening. And what you do next Sunday morning when you make your faith promise commitment will determine whether some people have the opportunity to hear the gospel, trust Christ as their Savior, or whether they live all of their lives and never one time hear a gospel message. A mission conference. A local church in business meeting deciding the fate of the heathen. You've met some good missionaries already this morning. Uh, they've committed their lives to go. And I'm sure sitting here in this congregation this morning, uh, there are others that ought to make that same commitment. Then there are others, every one of us, that should do something about giving to missions. Uh, somewhere along the line this week or next Sunday morning for sure, uh, you receive a little faith promise commitment card. I'm going to read it to you today. You don't have it, so I'll read it, okay? And here's what it says. By faith in God, and that's what we call faith promise giving, okay? By faith in God, I promise to give X number of dollars per week above my tithe and offering to Central Baptist Church for world evangelism. Now I want you to say something with me and do it real energetically. If you do it the first time right, we'll just have to do it once, okay? 
If you don't, we'll do it over until you do it right. So be energetic about it, okay? Uh, now, the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, listen to it very carefully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, now, a lot of women, when they hear that verse, they say, amen, let the man give, okay? But he's not talking about gender. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. Parents, teach your children to give to missions. Every man, according, every person, according as he purposeth in his heart. Now, not what you think you can do, not what you can figure out from your budget, but every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, that verse teaches that everybody, every member of Central Baptist Church, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, ought to give something. All right? Now, here, say it with me real energetically, okay? I mean, loud enough that people can hear that uh, had the Mardi Gras parade last night. Amen? I got caught in that thing, spent an hour and a half. Didn't want to spend one minute in it, okay? Okay, all together. Everyone giving something. And everyone giving more than they ever gave before. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out. If you'll do that, your mission giving will increase exponentially. And by the way, it ought to increase every year. Paul said, when your faith is increased, we shall be enabled by you to preach the gospel in the regions beyond. Now, I'm going to preach to you today. We've got something you really like, okay? You say, well, you, or do you preach it? No, but I like to preach messages that people like. So I'm, I'm going to preach about the disciples' vacation. The disciples' vacation. Okay. Uh, turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. That will be easy for you to find. Uh, if you're able and uh, can stand, would you stand to honor God's word this morning as we read? Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. They're coming back to report on a big mission trip they'd been on. And he said unto them, Come ye yourself apart into a desert place, and rest a while. That's vacation. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Now, I'd always thought about these people being Baptists. But evidently, they weren't. We as Baptists get real busy sometimes, but I don't remember any time we got so busy we didn't have time to eat. Amen. Okay, verse, verse 32. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing and 
Many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and out went them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Because they were a sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them, saying, many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, uh, this is a desert place. Now the time is far past. Uh, send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give you them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 pennies worth of bread and give them to eat? And he said unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all set down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down by ranks, by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up the 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side and to Bethsaida while he sent away the people. Amazing, after that great miracle. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful book. The infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God. Lord, thank you for Central Baptist Church that for many, many years has been very instrumental in giving and sending missionaries around the world. Now, Lord, I pray you'll bless this conference, uh, not because of the ones that are here necessarily but because of the fact that you are here. Lord, we're totally dependent upon you. I love these people. I'd sure like to be a blessing to them today. But Lord, the only way I could be a blessing to them is that you would bless me. And I realize I'm totally dependent on you. I can do nothing without you. I'm just a branch. You're the vine. Without you, I can do nothing. But, Lord, with you, I can do all that you want me to do. And I submit myself to you today to do whatever you have to do through me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In verse 7, we are told that Jesus sent the apostles out two by two in, chapter, in Luke chapter 7. In uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, we read these words. Then he called the 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. 
And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Uh, that, that's the group that had gone out and that came back and answered. They immediately obeyed the Lord and had a very successful missionary journey. <clears throat> they had seen people healed. They had preached the gospel and people had been saved. Evil spirits were subject to them and were cast out. Then we find them returning, and they said, the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils were subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding. And all this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. Here's our reason for rejoicing. But rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That's something to rejoice about, amen. Our names are written in heaven. After the report which followed the news of the beheading of John the Baptist, Jesus instructed them to retreat from their work. Mark chapter 6, we read. Notice this simple statement. Come ye yourself apart. Vance Havner used to say, if occasionally you don't come apart, you'll come apart. Good statement, amen. By the way, this was good advice. It was from God. Rest and relaxation are not sinful, nor is it a waste of time. I've had people say to me, the devil need, never had a vacation. And I said, well, I'm not the devil. I need a vacation, amen. I have no idea what they did for relaxation in those days. I know what we do in our generation. Imagine, you're at your favorite vacation place. Take a reprieve from wintertime, okay? You're at your favorite vacation though. Uh, it may be a place of peace and quiet uh, where you can read or just Relax. For some of you men, it may be a fishing trip or a hunting trip. For some of you ladies, it may be a shopping trip. That's always fun, isn't it? It's really fun for the men to go with you. If you're real spiritual, it may be a golf resort. This is time that had been designated for rest and relaxation after a very busy schedule. But to their dismay, the crowd that had heard about Jesus and his miracles had found out where they were, and they had followed him there. 
It may be today that you have some very exciting plans. May not be a vacation, but it may be your life. Then you're confronted with a situation that demands your attention. Let me read you a story that I read many years ago. Kevin Carter, a South African photojournalist, went to the Sudan near the during the horrible famine in, in the 90s. He captured a very intriguing picture. It is a picture of a vulture stalking a starving little girl. The photograph was sold to the New York Times, and when it appeared for the first time in March the 26th, 1993, Mr. Carter eventually won the Pulitzer Prize for the photo. However, he could not enjoy it. Here's his statement. I am really sorry that I didn't pick the child up. He confided to a friend. The news, the people were told not to touch the feminine victim, the news people because of the risk of transmitting diseases. He came under criticism for not helping the girl. A few months <clears throat> after receiving the Pulitzer Prize, he committed suicide. There were obviously other circumstances <clears throat> that had led him to this act. But those who knew Mr. Carter well believed that his doing nothing to help haunted them, haunted them. For a few minutes, let's think about the apostles' vacation, or maybe your lies. Think, number one, about a great need. There was a great multitude of hungry people. We live in a world that we don't know much about in America, but a world of hungry people. 14% of the world's population go to bed hungry every day. That don't mean they didn't have a pizza just before they went to bed. That means they had nothing to eat, maybe for several days. That's well over one million people every day. Every day, more than 20,000 children die of starvation. Now, here's a simple fact. There's enough food in the world to feed every one of the 7.9 billion people living on planet Earth. So what's the problem? The problem is unequal distribution. Most of us have far more than we need to eat. And yet there are people all over the world that go to bed every night hungry. I'll never forget being in India and seeing people 
dying of starvation every night. And the trucks would come along in the morning and just pick the bodies up off of the street that had starved or frozen to death that night. And take them and bury them in mass graves. We live in a world that is spiritually hungry. But even worse than that, we live in a world that is spiritually hungry. Two-thirds of the world's population of 7.9 billion people have never one time heard a simple gospel message. That is more than 4 billion people. Every day, 250,000 people die. And when they die, they go either to heaven or to hell. And if they have not heard, they cannot go to heaven. Because the Bible simply said, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. By the way, there is enough of the bread of life for everyone. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Somebody well said, if you want to go to heaven, you better get yourself a good Jewish lawyer. And his name is Jesus. Amen. Then he says, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now listen to this. And he is a propitiation, the sacrifice that pleases God for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chiefest. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, potentially, especially those that believe. There is enough of the spiritual bread of life to go around to all of the 7.9 billion people on planet Earth. What's the problem? It's the same problem that we have with this physical food. Unequal distribution. I've been preaching in mission conferences since 1974. Early I began to use this statistic that I read. 4% of the world's population speaks English. 4%. 96% of all gospel preaching is done in English. You know what that means? 96% of the preachers are ministering to 4% of the world's population. Something is wrong 
with those numbers. The same is true with money given to the world for the work of God. My dear friends, the picture is not pretty. People starving and others overstuffed with no concern. People dying and going to hell. And God's people majoring on the minors rather than an all-out effort to preach the gospel to all people. Listen to Jesus. Say not ye therefore there are four months and then cometh a harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white already to harvest. Oh, we're going to do it someday. Someday. No, no, no. Say not there are four months. In. No. The harvest is ripe. And if we do not reap the harvest when it's ripe, it will be ruined. Listen again. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest. Just a simple question. How long has it been since you really prayed that God would send people from Central Baptist Church to the unevangelized fields of the world? I'll never forget being in a mission conference in Lynchburg, Virginia, eating lunch in the home of a beautiful family, Christian family. In the midst of the meal, the hostess, the lady, said to Pastor Ralston, Brother Ralston, I get nervous every time we have a mission conference. And he inquired as to why she got nervous. And she said, well, I have two teenagers, a girl and a boy. Both of them are very dedicated Christians. I'm scared to death. God's going to call one of them to be a missionary. And I don't believe that I could stand to see my children go to the mission field. You say, Brother Sisk, is that rather common? I'm not sure. But it's not very Christian. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I want you to notice for just a minute at the various responses to Jesus. When he said, give you them to eat. And you have, number one, the callous. You know what the disciples said? Hey, we're on vacation. We didn't come here to minister. Send them away. I've got my life planned. Don't bother me. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. That was the callous. Then there was another response. Philip said, Lord, that 200 pennies worth wouldn't be enough to give all of them just a little bit of food. There was the uh, cautious. Well, we've got a little bit, but it wouldn't help any. There was Andrew. Uh, here's a little boy here. He's got two fishes and five pieces of bread, but what's that among so many? You know, basically what they're saying, we don't have much. We can't do much. My dear friend, if we use that as an excuse for doing nothing, we're just like Mr. Carter with that little girl who eventually was consumed by that vulture. The cautious, the callous, the calculating. But thank God, there is the compassionate Jesus. And he said, give you them to eat. 7.9 billion people on planet Earth. Two-thirds of them having never one time heard the gospel message. And it's mission conference time at Central Baptist Church. Let me ask you, what is your response? When Jesus says, give you them to eat, are you going to be callous, send them away? Are you going to be cautious? Well, I have a little bit, but that wouldn't help anything. Are you going to be calculating? Or are you going to have compassion? And some having compassion makes a difference. I don't think we have much time, folks. Whatever we're going to do for God, it's time we got busy doing it. Could I remind you? Teenagers and children, listen this week. Most of the people that go to the mission field actually committed their life to missions as children or teenagers. Don't ever take it lightly when a child says, I believe God wants me on the mission field. And by the way, parents, wouldn't it be a good thing to pray that God would use your children or your grandchildren on the mission field? Are you going to be callous? Are you going to be cautious? Or are you going to be compassionate? And are you going to say, I, I don't have much. I can't do much. But thank God, I do have something and I can do something. 
And what I do have, I'm going to use for the glory of God. And what I can do, by the grace of God, I'm going to do. Wouldn't this be a good time for a lot of God's people to just humble yourself and get on your knees and say to God, Dear God, I want to be a part of the great harvest. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our heads are bowed.